and start in verse 8. Before I do, Paul here in the scripture for context, he's just been talking about the thorn in his flesh, the messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, that was sent to annoy him, lest he be exalted above measure. And we pick it up in verse 8 where he says, And he said to me, sorry, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray this morning. Father, this morning in this place. I'm asking for your special anointing, a touch of your grace upon our lives, that you would move and change hearts and lives. Break down the walls that we have built up, the lies that we have believed, God, and shine the light of your word into the shadows of our heart. Have your way in us and through us in the days to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I think the first thing this morning is to establish what, what I'm talking about here. That's a good thing. So what is, what is grace? What is this grace that I'm talking about? So the dictionary, a dictionary definition of grace that I found was the free and unearned favour of God. And I like that. And I think that sits very well with this definition, this illustration, this, the purpose of uh, the scripture that we're talking about here. It is the free and unearned favour of God. It cannot be paid for. It cannot be earned. And the best way to describe grace or to define grace is with its inseparable siblings, mercy and love. And we find those in this verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul addresses God's threefold plan of salvation when he says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us live together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And in these two verses, he brings out God's mercy, love and grace. Firstly, he's rich in mercy. Mercy is the compassion of God. It's the compassion that moved God towards providing a saviour for us, providing a saviour for the lost. Secondly, the great love with which he loved us. And his, his motivating love is the motivating plan behind everything that God does in the saving of a soul. Think about your steps towards salvation, the steps towards your. Uh, yes. The event, in a sense, the event of your salvation, the day of your salvation. Now we know, and when you look back at it, you look at the events leading up to your salvation. I know for me, it was, I, I can see a 12-month period where God was intensely dealing with me, bringing me to that point where I walk into a church, gave my, give my life to, actually gave my life to Christ outside of the church, just at home, and I walk into a church and said, oh, I've been a Christian about a week. And they're like, what? <laughs> We've been praying for you for eight months. <laughs> 
But there was events on the outward. There was, this, there was this event of salvation. But there's this process of leading up. And God's love is in that process. God's love is what motivates him. The motivating plan behind salvation. And thirdly, grace. And I want to read uh, this commentary from the Unger's Bible Dictionary, which says this. Since God is holy and righteous and sin is a complete offence to him, his love or his mercy cannot operate in grace until there was provided a sufficient satisfaction for sin. Grace thus rules out all human merit. It requires only faith in the Saviour. Any intermixture of human merit violates grace. Grace thus provides not only salvation, but safety and preservation for the saved one, despite his imperfections. Now, while I like that definition, while I like that explanation, we must be careful here because this is where the misuse and abuse of grace occurs. Because Christians stand there and say, well, I'm under grace. So I can do this. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And Paul knew this because this isn't a new thing. This new to 2022 or it's new to, to our teenagers today. This is something that Paul was dealing with back in the times of Jesus, back in the times of the new church. And he says in Romans 6.1, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And again in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And to take it up a notch, Hebrews ten twenty six says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. There is no sacrifice for sin apart from the grace of God. So we can't continually abuse the grace of God and think that we're okay. It's just not scriptural. The flip side to that and the good news is what our text 2 Corinthians 12 9 says about grace. And that's what I want to look at now for a few moments. First of all, it says that his grace is sufficient. And this is... Jesus' words to Paul. And we know that grace is sufficient for salvation. In 1 John 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be unleashed on our lives. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. So we know that. We know that it is sufficient for salvation. But there is something else that the Bible says is sufficient, and that is trouble. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. It is sufficient. In the Amplified Bible of our verse in 2 Corinthians, it says this, But he said to me, My grace, my favour and loving kindness and mercy, it is enough for you, sufficient against any danger, and enables you to bear trouble. See, his free and unearned favour, his grace is also enough. Not just enough to get you saved, but it's enough to carry you through the journey to heaven. See, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, the Bible says. And we're, we're a little in the dark as to what this is, and some people believe that it was an acute sickness or illness, or uh, sorry, an acute pain or illness. 
Um, others believe that uh, there was actually a messenger of Satan. There was actually a person following him around, buffeting him and annoying him everywhere he went and everywhere he went to preach. But whatever it was, it was sent from hell to bring this man of God's spirit down. He prayed once, nothing. He prayed twice, nothing. He prayed again and he heard these words, my grace is sufficient. See, we might be praying through situations and scenarios. We might be praying for, to, to, for God to take away this, but God didn't take this away from Paul. He gave him grace and empowered him to work through it. He changed his mindset towards the situation, towards the problem. He said, you know what, Paul, I'm not going to take this away. You know why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. My free and unearned favour is enough for you. You can walk through this in my grace. So it begs the question, how many answers to prayer have we missed lately? What have we been praying for that we're praying over and over again where if we just zipped it for a minute and listened instead, we might hear these words. My grace is sufficient for you. Oh, well, God hasn't taken this thing away from me and I've prayed and I've prayed and I'm done. Are you listening and not just looking at the issue. Matthew Henry put it this way, it is a great comfort to us, whatever thorns in the flesh we are pained with, that God's grace is sufficient for us. Grace signifies two things. One is the goodwill of God toward us. And this is sufficient to strengthen and comfort us. And secondly, the good work of God in us. Christ Jesus will proportion the remedy to our malady. So number one, it's the it's the goodwill of God toward us and it's the good work of Christ in us. His grace is sufficient. And secondly, our, our, our verse says this, his grace is power. It says, my power, my strength is made perfect in weakness. This isn't a separate statement to the first part of the verse. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I put to you that his power is the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Essentially, he's saying my grace, my free and unearned favour is made perfect in weakness because that is where it becomes most evident. Luke 5.24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the act of forgiveness, the working of, Je- of grace, God's grace through Jesus Christ on the earth was the forgiveness of sins. Who knows, the forgiveness of sins is one of the most powerful acts. It is the most powerful act on earth. Because who has the power to forgive sins? Jesus described that Jesus exclaimed that he had the power to forgive sins and he followed it up with a miracle, with an act of love, with an act of grace. See, a man can own a multinational company. He can build skyscrapers all over the world, but he can't sleep at night because of the guilt in his heart. 
a courtroom can try and judge someone and sentence them, but it can't forgive their crimes. This alone is an act of God. This alone is an act of power, an act of grace. So Paul's response to our text, Paul's response to Jesus saying that his grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response is, therefore, I will boast the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He wants this free and unearned favour of God to rest upon him. There is nothing more powerful in this world than the power of grace. Not only is it the power to to forgive sins, but it is the power to live a completely changed life. And many in this place today can testify to that. No matter how long ago you became a Christian, you know who you were before that. His grace is power. And lastly, it says that His strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace is made perfect in weakness. The Amplified Bible says, power and strength show themselves most effective in your weakness. Now that word perfect, we know, is the word to bring to maturity. It it means having all the required or desirable elements. It is absolute, complete. Isn't this just the paradox Of the love of God. The paradox of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Where weakness is made perfect. Strength is made perfect in weakness. When you think about it, it makes sense. Strength cannot be shown apart from weakness. His grace, his free and unearned favour is fulfilled and completed in our weakness. We look at the paralytic. We look at the woman at the well. Zacchaeus. The thief on the cross. What did these people do to earn their salvation, to earn their healing? What did the paralytic do to earn his healing? You know what he did? Showed faith. The woman at the well. How did she earn forgiveness for her immorality? She didn't. She couldn't earn it. It was an act of grace. And many people were saved through that woman. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. See, God does have a strange sense of humour, doesn't he? So when I prayed for money, God gives me work. It's just dumb. (laughs) when I prayed for a wife he gave me opportunities to serve others when I prayed for strength to get through a situation he showed me someone else going through a similar situation when I was too weak to forgive someone for what they'd done God loved me through it For every situation of weakness that I've faced, there has been both the opportunity to run for the hills or to stand and trust. I choose to trust.
It's not always an easy decision. And I can tell you now that it is by the grace of God that I am who I am, that I am where I am, that I'm still standing here before you today and I can still declare to you that I love God with my whole heart and I trust him. It is his grace, his free and unearned favour that has carried me through this walk we call life. So the Amplified Bible, again, at the end of uh, our text says, Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Love that. Love that. So don't, don't condemn yourself for your weakness. So many people get so caught up. They get anxious. They condemn themselves. And we look at the scripture that says, when our heart condemns us, he is greater than our heart. Don't condemn yourself for your weakness. God made you. He said, it says that he knows our frame, that we are but dust. He knows our frame. He made us. He made you. Don't condemn yourself for your weakness. Give it to God. Paul says, I will boast in my weakness. What is somebody that's boasting? Why do do people that brag annoy you so much? It's because they just won't be quiet. Stop talking. Please. They're bragging about themselves usually. It's like, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at this, look at this. I will boast in my weakness. Think about it. What is he saying here? He's coming to Christ and he's going, God, I am so weak and you are so strong. Thank God for that. He's bragging about his weakness. He's not going around sharing his dirty laundry with the entire world. Don't don't twist that one. (laughs) But boast in your weaknesses. When you come out the other side, when you give it to God, when you've committed yourself in trust, to God and you've said, yes, God, I need to walk in this free and unearned favour that you offer me. You come out the other side of that and you say, you know what? God got me through that. You're talking to someone that has been through the same thing, is going through the same thing. You're saying, you know what? I know for a fact that God can get you through that because he got me through that. This is boasting in our weaknesses. Because it gives glory to God. Okay, let's wrap this up with three ingredients now, I'm not much of a chef. You trust me. My wife will tell you. I make, great, I make great soggy veggies. I really do. If you don't like chewing, come to our place for dinner. <laughs> I'll have to play that back to my wife later. Anyway, three ingredients we need. is Grace, faith and love. Grace, faith and the gift of God. It is his divine love. We already have the love of God upon us. God loves us unconditionally, yes? Everyone in the entire world, every person that God has created, He loves them. Think about that. Everyone. Who's the worst person on this earth that you can think of at the moment? And we all went to Russia. God loves Him. I'm sorry. God loves every single person. On this earth. His love is unconditional. For God loved the world. So loved the world. 
How many people does that the world incorporate? So the love of God is unconditional. It is unfailing. We see people that don't deserve good things in our eyes and we get disgusted. We forget the scriptures like Luke 6.35 that says, Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. But this is the part that most of us leave off the end. Then we forget about it. It says, For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. You say, what? God is kind to the unthankful and evil? What do we do? Someone cuts us off. God is kind to the person that cuts him off in the traffic. I have to remember that on my way home. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. This is the God we serve. The God that loves everyone. We, even as Christians, well, sorry, okay, I can look at people, I can judge the outside. We can judge people and and it actually takes effort to say, you know what, God loves them. I'm going to talk to them. God loves them. I'm just going to overlook that. I'm going to move on. Forgiveness. You know, it takes effort, but God loves them no matter what. That's the love of God. Faith is our choice. It's our choice to to live decision to decision, trusting his outcome. As we walk faithfully, as we walk honestly. Faith is trusting his outcome. See, the thing about grace is that while the love of God is unconditional, the grace of God is conditional. The reason I say that is because scripture says it. It says that we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the condition of grace. Faith is the condition of our salvation. It says that if you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Scripture says it time and time again. How did you get saved? You put your trust in Jesus. You accepted his gift of grace. If we don't accept the gift of grace, the gift of grace can't be with us. Does that make sense? We need to implore faith and trust in order to receive the gift of grace. See, there was nothing else that the thief on the cross could have done. There was nothing. He stood, like literally. There was nothing he could have done. He couldn't move. All he could do was speak. And he spoke and believed in his heart. And received the gift of grace. The free and unearned favour of God is right there within your reach. Within my reach. But don't reach with your hands. Don't reach with your works. Don't reach with your religious traditions. Because you're not going to get there. Reach with your heart and faith in Jesus Christ. See, if you don't yet know Jesus in a real and personal way. If you're still living in sin today, Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the condition. It's right there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And for those of us this morning that do know Jesus Christ as our Saviour. John 15.5 I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What are the words? For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. We keep walking through life and... Why are things going wrong? Oh, where's Jesus gone? Without me, you can do nothing. So let's press in on and lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. We'll get back to simple faith through trust. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find Grace to help in time of need. So let's read that with this definition of grace that I've shared this morning. It says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of free and unearned favour of God, that we may obtain mercy and find the free and unearned favour of God to help in time of need. How good is that? How good is that? We can find the free and unearned favour of God to help us in time of need when we come boldly before the throne of grace. If you're struggling today, you can find grace to help in time of need. You can find that free and unearned favour of God to help you every single day, every moment of your life. Grace isn't a one-time deal when you got saved. It's not. We get saved with grace. Well, that's good. Well, grace on the shelf. Let's move on with our life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You're not going to do that without the grace of God, without the free and unearned favour of God. It's going to be a much harder slog. And we're walking within the reach of having this free and unearned favour of God. And yes, I'm repeating it for a reason. It is the free and unearned favour of God in your life every single day, in every single situation. But you'll never reach it with works or penance, religious traditions, going through the motions. But you'll reach it with your faith, your trust and your obedience. So come boldly this morning to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of free and unearned favour. I finished, I finished this message off and this morning I'm standing in my kitchen and, I, and my mind went to the things of the week ahead and there was a sense of anxiety, think, thinking about things of work. My mind went this place, went, went there. And, oh man, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do that? And I said, you know what? I'm going to lay hold of the free and unearned favour of God. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to trust. And it was, it was a peace. Because you know what? We're not doing this alone. The very words I spoke to God when I gave my life to him 27 years ago was, God, I can't do this by myself anymore. I can't do this. You know the words that I hear now when I say that? You were never meant to. (laughs) You were never meant to. 
So come boldly before the throne of grace. Just, just come. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.